I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. And welcome to the Halftime Report. I am Frank Holland in for the Judge Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the state of the market as yields bounce off a two-month low, oil drops, and NVIDIA sells off despite a monster beat. Our invest committee is standing by to break everything down and what it means for your money. Joining us for the hour, we have Shannon Sakosha joining us remotely, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal, and Rob Seachin right here at Post 9. But first, let's get a check on the markets at noon Eastern time. Taking a look solidly in the green across the board. The Dow hitting its highs of this session. The S&P and the NASDAQ just off of its highs, but again, both up over a half a percent. But the thing we're really talking about right now, that's yields. They bounced off of a low of about 4.36 earlier. Right now, you're seeing them at 4.42, but you got to remember, we're still about 40 basis points lower than we started the month. And really, that's where we got to start this conversation. Joe, I'm going to come over to you. What are you thinking about the action when it comes to yields right now? How do you see it influencing the markets? Again, as we mentioned, uh, green across the board. This is a good week. This is a good week, and this is a week that is being driven by technicals. Uh, continue to be focused on what the Russell 2000 is doing. It's trying to break out above last Wednesday's high and the critical 200-day moving average. I clearly see the setup as one in which the S&P is targeting the July highs. We already had the NASDAQ 100 make a new high for the year. It seems as though 4,600 is the destination for the S&P 500. And all of the price action uh, over the last several days is confirming that. I also think that if you're looking at the mega cap seven and you're trying to find a negative story, if you're looking at NVIDIA and saying, okay, well, NVIDIA is lower on the day. Remember, it's the magnificent seven, not the magnificent one. And within the magnificent seven, we've had very strong performance recently from Microsoft. And today we're having strong performance from Apple. So do not fight the trend. Do not, do not fight the chase for performance. The chase for performance is real, and we are in the intense part of it. Yeah, your point out, NVIDIA down more than 3%. We're going to get to NVIDIA a little bit later in the show, but see, I saw you lean in as Joe was talking. You were leaning in. What, what are you thinking over there? What are you thinking about the market? Also, again, yields bouncing off about 4.36 earlier, now about 4.42. So, you know, I think there's four things that are going to drive the market, at least through year end. Number one, n- no one, including us, is, is taking gains, especially the significant gains that we've seen year to date in some of the stocks that we own, which are members of the, uh, the, the, the seven stocks you mentioned. There's also a lot of window dressing going on. Um, and most importantly, I think rates are coming in and you have the momentum that Joe talked about. So it's hard for us to see an environment other than everybody agreeing with us in markets being overbought in the near term. It's hard for us to see a catalyzer for a major sell-off. And the most likely scenario is one that Tom Lee talked about in the notes, which is kind of a, a, a bleed up into, into year end. I think as we come into next year, it gets a little more challenging. All right, so talking about next year, just, to, just since you referenced it, Lori Calvacina from RBC out with a 5,000 target for the S&P for next year. Just want to mention it because you talked about it. But I want to stay on, on the current situation right now with you, Jim. What's your take on what you're seeing? Again, uh, we saw bond yields go down to a two-month low, 4.36, bouncing back up a, a bit. 
I, I feel like a lot of people I talk to want me to get worried about the situation. And I really though? appreciate the positivity from my colleagues. But, you know, a lot of people want to talk to me again about the yield curve. Like, I, I, honestly, I think I'm done talking about the yield curve. Let's just leave that aside. Or they want to talk about durable goods orders disappointing today. Or maybe Deere's guidance, which we'll get to later. Or Cisco's guidance last week. And, and I really think the point is being missed both in the microscopic and the big picture. The microscopic, let's just do that right now. Jobless claims. We were supposed to get worried last week when they popped, and now they're right back down to where, they, you know, where they've been hanging out, right around 200,000. And that is very important, folks. If people are employed, they're going to consume. Consumption is 70% of this economy. I get it about consumer delinquencies. I get it, okay, about running out of savings. Um, but here's, here's the bigger point, is that let's just say I'm wrong. Let's dance with this idea for a second. Joe, Joe got very excited there. He's like, he's gonna dance with me on this. No, I'm actually very <laughs> calm, but... <laughs> <laughs> Your eyebrows raised. For you, that's very exciting. I'm trying what? to stay awake while you're talking. Oh, 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 oh. Take it down a notch, guys. Just take it, it's not a Comedy Central okay. roast. It's right. the day no, no, before Thanksgiving. Go. That was good. Go. Let's just say that I'm wrong and that there is a slowdown that's occurring right now that's bigger than, than I expected. Let's just say I'm wrong about the economy skating through there. You know, it is likely to be short and sweet if there's a slowdown. These guidances that we haven't liked, I mean, the fact that next year's earnings have actually estimates have come down as the third quarter results barely, have gone bar up. Barely. Okay, barely. but they certainly haven't integrated the excellent third quarter results. Look, I, people are still thinking this is gonna be some, some, you know, clear the forest floor fire. But all the imbalances are out, right? All the crypto, NFT, meme, SPAC stuff, that was done two years ago. You don't have a housing boom. You don't have a tech telecom boom. There's no overgrowth in terms of investment that needs to be cleared out with some brutal recession. So, so, wait, so, wait, so Jim, if we're in that slowdown, Frank, right, we're if, in that slowdown That you're not right worried now, about, to be clear. It's, it's likely to be done really quickly. Yeah, we are getting a revision of third quarter GDP next week, so that's something to watch. You mentioned the slowdown. We'll talk about it a little bit later on the show, but Joe, I, I know you want to jump. You're trying to stay awake while Jim's no, talking. No, no, I, I just wanted to come off your one liner. That was a good liner. No, but you know, I, I think the premise that you have is that the fun, the fundamentals of the economy are, are strong, but I'm not sure that's the catalyst behind why the market's rallying right now. It's fine, yeah. And I think, right. uh, yeah, and I, and I think, <laughs> I think when you turn the calendar in, into January. I don't know if, if that is going to be the thesis that the economy is overwhelmingly strong and we could take the handoff from a nice Q4 rally into Q1 of next year. I think it has to be, I think it has to be that the Federal Reserve sits with their hands, Absolutely. You know, okay. doing Absolutely. nothing, and that the economy shows the signs that it's showing right now, Jimmy, where I disagree with you somewhat, where yes, in fact, the, co the consumer is more cost conscious and in fact, it does look like we're seeing a little bit of deceleration in the economy. And I think that's a good thing. You know, speak, wait, you know speaking what, of deceleration, what, let, let's what, calm things down right here. Give me one second, Jim. We want to bring Shannon Sakosha into this oh. conversation. Shannon, we did not forget about you. Uh, want to get your take on what we're seeing on rates, the, the price action in the markets, and also what we're seeing from mega cap tech, uh, Magnificent 7, following these NVIDIA results. Where'd you get that? Yeah, we certainly, I mean, we're certainly looking at it from the perspective of, you know, if we're talking about the next five weeks or so, um, Frank, I, you know, I, I, I don't disagree with what my colleagues have said today. You know, there's not a lot in terms of upsetting the, the narrative in this very short-term time period. We've had two um, good, strong 20-year auctions. Um, yes, we're seeing a slight tick up in rates, but, um, but we're not seeing the type of volatility that we were experiencing that resulted in, in a lot of the 
equity angst, if you will, that we experienced in September and October. The, the thing to think about is as we look at 2024, you know, I think that there is a perhaps a misconception that I've heard um, from some other strategists that there isn't a lot of cash on the sidelines. And so there would need to be a rotation, if you will, from some of the names that have done well this year in order to fund, um, you know, more diversification in order to fund, you know, the potential allocation to small caps. Just to put it in perspective, Frank, for the viewers, $22 billion flew into money market funds last week alone. We have seen almost a trillion dollars go into money market funds this year. Now, the thesis could be that that money ends up transitioning as we start to see uh, pressure on the short end of the curve to equities. We could see it go to fixed income. But just this perception that there isn't a lot of money on the sidelines, that there isn't going to be movement from cash to another alternative, maybe not overnight to the point where we don't see the Fed moving, uh, you know, to cut rates as quickly as maybe some other people do. But there is money there. There's capital that's available. And so I think people are in a wait and see mode for 2024 to to see some of the economic data that Jimmy talked about. Right. Are we going to see that sharp contraction? Where are we you know, going from here? You know, Shane, a lot of people pointing to the money in money market funds. I'm hearing estimates of over $5 trillion. One other thing I want to talk to you about, um, Tom Lee out with a note today forecasting a year-end rally, believing that rally might start next week. Do you see a setup for a rally next week following, of course, this holiday shortened week? Well, I think some of the um, we've we've seen a little bit of concern, right, from a retail perspective. They're talking about you know a weak consumer season for um, holiday shopping. Um, we were looking at really from 2020, you know, 12 percent holiday shopping growth, and then it was down to about six percent um, as of last year. And we're looking at you know holiday shopping. If you look at this six-week period, to be three or to four percent, that really could upset some of the sentiment. People could get more concerned about the consumer, but again. Again, a lot of the, again, going back to my point, a lot of the volatility in the equity market has been based on volatility in the bond market. And, you know, with these auctions going off better over the last two, you know, th this, these catalysts, if you will, for a potential weakening into the end of the year, those catalysts, we're moving through those on a day-to-day -day basis. We saw NVIDIA, obviously, we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I think that as those catalysts and we move through those, there's really less, there are fewer hurdles, okay. if you will, to delivering that, like, through the end of the year. All right, so Shannon says fewer hurdles for a year-end rally. Uh, Rob, over to you. I know you actually agree with Tom Lee. You see a setup for a, a move higher when it comes to equities at the, for the rest of the year. Is it simply a bond yield thing? Is it simply that mechanism right there? I think real yields coming in is a, is a monster driver, but you can't ignore the fact that the gains that people have, they're not willing to sell, and those are the largest market constituents right now. So it, it's hard for me to, to envision a situation where somebody would sell anything beyond the stocks that are down, and that's in the energy category. Category and some some sectors that have had a little bit of a tougher year. All right, you guys agree, disagree with Tom Lee? I think I agree with what Rob's saying in terms of last year you had that significant tax loss to harvesting. You're not going to have that this year. And to your point, okay, energy. Uh, a lot of people are still overweight energy because there's this belief that the fundamentals are still strong. Maybe regional banks. But at this point, I think most people have already stepped to the sidelines on regional banks. So I do think this is a lot about money flow right now. Right. And when we turn the calendar into January, I think we're going to really learn more about the fundamentals of the market.
Joe, see the if interesting the fundamentals sale, can align the, it, with the money flow. But the interesting sale, and you talk about this more than anybody on this show, is in the bond market. What's happened with, yeah. uh, with yields in the bond market, and I think there will be some tax loss harvesting there and repositioning and some volatility that comes from that. Yeah, certainly a lot to watch that January effect, something that yeah. might be coming up pretty soon. But I really want to get to something else right now. Maybe one of the keys to a year-end rally, of course, that's big tech, mega cap tech, the Magnificent Seven, which leads us to NVIDIA. The stock's under a bit of pressure today, despite quarterly sales surging 200% from just a year ago. And right here with us, we got Christina Partsnevelis to join us to break it all down. Christina, over to you. Well, what we saw just like last quarter, a big beat, bullish commentary, and yet a muted stock reaction. The bears winning today. Management admitted U.S. export controls to China would significantly impact revenues in Q4, limiting guidance. NVIDIA's CFO continued on the call, said they don't have good visibility into the magnitude of that impact even over the long term. So that's a little concerning, especially considering China contributes 20 percent of total data center revenues. And that has bears worried. How could NVIDIA keep up this beat and any future raises without China. Analysts also expressed concerns about the sustainability of demand once the backlog gets worked down. But CEO Jensen Wong on the call wouldn't have any of it. He, sticking with the bull narrative, said there's a host of new products ramping up like the new GPU, the B100, which will be next year, which could lead to a GPU replacement cycle. There's also a continued expansion within software. They're seeing a, a, you know, a $1 billion run rate. Uh, strength from networking, $10 billion runway, with management noting increased purchase commitments, which is at $18 billion. So that is a positive for, you know, a look or insight into the future. And that's why you saw price hikes across the board, Goldman Sachs, uh, Bank of Montreal, JP Morgan, Mizuho, all well above $600 with their report, despite the concerns of China. Yeah, we're going to talk about those price targets in a minute, but I want to talk about one thing with you guys, valuation. Uh, Christina, we're going to come back to you because the China stuff, was th- I thought everybody knew about that. So we're going to come back to that in just a second. But right now, looking at NVIDIA valuation, after this evaluation, is it, is it just more attractive? Is this a place to possibly come in? Well, I think NVIDIA is now becoming something that should be a core holding when you're looking at technology and semiconductors. And I believe that the degree in which you hold NVIDIA is really where you're doing analysis right now. Understand, I think it's about 3.3% of the S&P 500 overall, 15%, one five of the gains this year in the S&P have been attributed to NVIDIA. So you ask yourself the question, I own NVIDIA equally weighted. If you own NVIDIA from a market cap weighted perspective, to Rob's point, when you turn that calendar to January, I think that's the moment where you say to yourself, okay, we're gonna ring the register and take some profits on NVIDIA. But I don't think you step away from this as a core holding. I think this is a core holding for the better part of the next several years. All right, core holding, but right now, is it attractive? I mean, is this the time to get in? I'm looking at it just under 32 times forward earnings. Is this the time to jump in the pool, Farmer Jim? This is a cheap stock, folks. Let's just sit with that for a second. This is an inexpensive stock. It's trading at 24 times next year's earnings, and we're about to turn the calendar. It's got a growth rate in its earnings, which we feel a lot better about now that we got yesterday's news, a growth rate of 50%. You've got a peg ratio on the stock, I'm chuckling thinking about it, of about 0.5. That's insane. For a high-quality, beautiful balance sheet, not capital-intensive business, that, that everybody wants their products. Like, they literally can't make enough of their products to satisfy demand. And I know, Christina, we talked yesterday about the potential 
potential, of course, the cycle will run its course. There will be double ordering. That will happen. It's not now, and I don't think you were saying that. As far as the stock being off four odd percent from its recent high, let me let that sit for a second. It's four percent off of its recent high. I mean, today is just, I think people got a little exhausted buying this up 25 percent in a month. But if you don't own this, I, the only thing I can say to you is this is a cheap stock for one of, if not the most high quality company in the in the U.S. stock market. So, Jim, you can't see Seach over there nodding his head. No, strong no over there. But what is the matter with you with that? <laughs> I, hold on. OK, let me give you this. I, I, this is, each other. I, I made the mistake of turning my back in it, and there's a knife in it. What, <laughs> what's, what's going on? I don't know what's happening on this day before so, the holidays. So, a lot happening up here. So we've all been Marvel fans, I'm sure. Spider-Man, with great power comes great expectations. That's just the fact. And great was not good enough. And that is why the stock is down. And it has to continue to be great, Jimmy. Let me give you some. Let me give you some here, okay? It traded 14 times next year's sales. Few companies reach Don't give out. me sales. No, Don't no, hold on, hold on. This hold is an earning company. Just, just, Don't give me sales. Just let me give you this. Few no. companies have reached that. Tesla was one of them. And after they reached that point, they had a 70% drawdown because the following year. Because it had priced year. their earnings and of 75. However, However, Why are, revenue like, is price still to in sales, and I love you, but anytime anybody says price to sales to me, like my half of my head goes into orbit around Venus. Okay. And, uh, I appreciate the love fest, guys. Let's rain our emotions in for a minute. I'm going to come oh, back okay. over to Christina. Thank you, mentioned some, <laughs> <no>. <laughs> you mentioned some of the price target hikes. For example, I saw uh, Bank of America up at 700. Rosenblatt, I believe, at 1100. So some pretty ambitious price very targets ambitious. here. Ambitious. They're very, all, you know, like Jim right now. Very, yeah. But walk us through this. We all <laughs> knew about these U.S. chip restrictions that were supposed to impact Correct. Nvidia. Yet the stock is still down today on something that we already knew before the earnings. I guess we didn't know the severity of it, and we saw that with the CFO's commentary saying that they don't know the magnitude of the impact, especially when you actually look at the revenues, 93% of the revenues came from outside the United States. More specifically, China grew 47% quarter over quarter, U.S. grew 4% quarter over quarter. So when you take out that whole portion of their uh, revenue, it is a major concern. How can they keep climbing? But. On the flip side, to Jim's point, it's not often you see a stock where it hits an all-time high and the P/E ratio actually comes down uh, in terms for the, the valuation right. point. But that's still there's a digestion period that still needs to go through. There's still the whole China overhang that they need to, to work through, and then competition maybe from hyperscalers, maybe from AMD. Some will argue not necessarily. Uh, those are factors to consider. So Christina's sitting on the broader chip market, Shane. I want to come over to you. Um, obviously, we're seeing the action from Nvidia on again um, them forecasting weakness in China, but how are are you seeing the broader chip space right now? Uh, we do have some broader chip ownership here on the desk. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a lot of dispersion in the space, and I think that the expectations, you know, there's clearly, if you if you talk about NVIDIA, um, clearly in a league of its own, but I, I think if you look at semis underneath that, you know, there was this big concern about double ordering. We thought we were at, in going to enter into this cycle where, you know, a lot of these companies were going to have excess inventories. And, you know, I think now it comes down to execution and making sure that they're looking at what is the right, you know, level of, of investment, if you will, what should be doing themselves. Uh, and I think that if you look at semis across the board, you know, there is this expectation that we see slower economic growth, that we're going to see lower demand. And we just haven't seen that come home to roost, like in the broader space. And so I still continue to think that there will be dispersion in the space going into 2024. I think that you really have to look at what they're aligned to. If you think about something like data centers, for instance, we're probably not going to see, particularly with the infrastructure bill, 
still that we're anticipating that the number of data centers are going to decline. And so I think you have to be a bit more prescriptive um, in your exposure and look at this as a space that isn't all for one, but and, and there won't be potentially a rising tide lifting all boats, despite the fact that we think there's a tailwind here from a secular perspective. Yeah, certainly a lot of differences in the chip market. Christina, your reporting is always highlighting that. Rob, by the way, I just want to point out, it's with great power comes great responsibility, oh. not expectations. I just, we're just correcting people. We're Burn. touching people. I just want to get on that I one. I just wanted to prove that you were a fan, Frank. <laughs> in, the, in the days leading up to this report, I, I, for me, what I was focused on was going to be the reaction. I really, I didn't expect that NVIDIA was going to come in and disappoint right. the market. What right. would the reaction be? And, and I think that's how you have to focus on what you have in front of you today, to your point. Right. Option volatility was supposed to be 7% post-earnings. Never even reached that level. Yeah. So this is a company where you're seeing the volatility begin to mature. That's a good thing. And I kind of fall back on what I said before. This is a core holding. And the concerns that the marketplace had, GPU supply. Okay, there was, there was nothing there troubling as it relates to GPU supply. They gave you confidence that yeah, they're they in a comfortable position there. And that was one of the biggest concerns that you had fundamentally. Right. In terms of, of China, I just think that variable is going to be there with the stock. I, I don't know if that is eliminated you, anytime well, soon. One of the questions that I have is there's other ways to do it. There has been a broadening out. You've seen the price reaction in some of the other semis. Did it, uh, other uh, ways to, to, to invest to, in to semis? Ex uh, express the view, okay. right? Uh, of the demand that we're seeing there. And, you know, we're owning stocks like Cadence Design, uh, Broadcom, Lamb Research. Great companies, I own them as well, but they don't have the H100 chip. KLAC, but they're also pick and shovel companies that are going to be but beneficiaries the H, the, of that Christine, stuff. Christine, the H100 chip is so critical right now. To, to the it is critical right now. So to right your point, you're, you're talking about these uh, software systems, which are yeah. important to designing the infrastructure. So yes, it's, it's critical right now. There's no other competitor until the hyperscalers succeed, until AMD uh, launches is. Intel's Gaudi 2 is nowhere near it. But to, I think to your point, there could be other plays. Five months from now, six months from, months from now, would now, you be stating this and making H200. that? H200. Five months from now. Well, yeah, the eventually, B100 would be the next little wing, but yes. <laughs> a, a lot to watch. All eyes on NVIDIA, obviously. Christina, thank you very much for your great <laughs> thank reporter. You. All right, coming up here on The Half, we've got our chart of the day. Dear crushing earnings, but disappointing on guidance. We're going to get the shareholder reactions. That's coming up next. Halftime back in just two minutes. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Dear shares, they're under a bit of pressure today after the company gave weaker-than-expected profit guidance. It's also our chart of the day. Joe and Jim, you each own it. Jim, we got to come to you first. Uh, no, I need dear like, shares down more than 3.5%. Like, you see the chart. Yeah, and I feel like I need a suit of armor here, man. I've been, I've been taking shots at my, my fellows here, and it's going to come back the at the first me. punch. I know. I know. I'm, I'm wrong. Like Rambo, you do right, first right, punch. Right, listen, right um, before look, the here's the thing with Deer. It, the stock has been outperforming operationally for the last year, but the share price has stunk. And the reason why is people were expecting what they finally got last night, which is a guidance reduction. I'm not happy about it, but I do want to point out that in the pre-market, 
market. This was down 7%. It's slowly coming back. And I think this is a classic case of rip the Band-Aid off. This is why the stock has been valued so cheaply. There is nothing fatally flawed with, with Deer. They're just cautious going forward. And apropos of my earlier comments, while that caution may be warranted as the lagged effects of the Fed hit, I think they're likely to be short-lived. I think they have now set a bar that they can easily clear going forward. At this valuation, um, and I feel very strongly about industrials in general, with this dividend yield, I think you're supposed to step in and buy it here. Wait, dividend yield of 1.5% is uh, why you would buy it? No, no, well, look, it's better. Than, I think it's actually closer to three, if I'm not mistaken. I, I mean, I'm looking right now. Maybe I'm, maybe oh, I'm sorry, 1.5%. You okay. are correct. I just want to be clear, because I, I, is that possibly one of the things weighing on this stock is that, you know, this is a, a pretty stable revenue dividend stock, but the dividend compared to bond yields is pretty low. Well, yeah, but that, I think, has been reflected in the multiple, uh, which has been around 11 times, and now with today's decline. And obviously, the estimates are going to come down for next year as well. But let's call it in that 11 to 12 range when all is said and done. That's below the historical multiple. And I think that's more than accounting for the dividend. I think what that's really accounting for is that people were looking for this guidance cut. That's why the last two quarters where the stock really had great operational results, but the stock went down as people were saying, you got to clear the decks here, guys. Okay. You got to get the bad news out there. The bad news is out there. I think this is where it troughs. That's why it's rallying now. I really think if you don't own this, you're supposed to buy it here. So you also have uh, deer in the Joe T ETF as well. What's your take on the report, the price action we're seeing right now? I hope Jimmy's right. I hope it troughs, but I, I don't get attached to positions. Um, I'm very quick to be candid about where they're at. Yes, we own it. Um, there's nothing we can do about it until the end of January, but the momentum is broken, clearly. Right. And fundamentally, there's something about the story that is not in the place that it was one year ago. Now, that just might be the ag cycle has deteriorated significantly. It might be that the replacement on existing tractors, uh, you, you now are in an environment where, where rates rose and you're seeing a little bit of a step back right. in the demand for the replacement. Um, you know, I hope Jimmy's right, and and he very well may be right. This is, you know, if you're if you're looking at the balance sheet, it's it's a quality company. You know, it checks all the box, boxes fundamentally, but you have to acknowledge there's a deterioration in the momentum, and if it sits in the same place that it does, at the end of January, right here, uh, I'm pretty certain that You'll something will be done about it. You'll give it to the end well, of we, January. Well, we rebalance on a quarterly basis. Okay. And that would okay. be the next rebalance. Monthly. By the way, Joe, Joe, you also own Caterpillar. Those shares down one percent. Shannon, I want to come Thanks over to you. Thanks for pointing that out. I want to get your take just on industrials more broadly right now. Again, we're seeing deer down after uh, weaker than expected guidance. Also, Caterpillar seems to be trading lower on sympathy. Just think about this from a CapEx perspective, Frank. We came into 2023 expectations were uh, fairly muted um, to negative for the global economy. We, you know, we're not seeing the reacceleration in China that we anticipated. Um, there continues to be, I would say, a cloud from a sentiment perspective that's hanging over the U.S. economy. And so if you think about the, you know, the CapEx cycle um, and you think about also the rates um, that you would need to borrow at in order to invest, I think you're just in a, in, in, you know, potentially in a, a tough period in the short term for industrials. But again, if you lump this into whether we're a late cycle today, which I, you know, I, I'd say that many would say, once you start to see those early cycle signs, industrials, you know, will start to participate in that. I think right now we've just seen this kind of waiting for Godot situation where I've got a lot of companies, a lot of, um, you know, whether they're on the ag side, on the construction side, they're just not willing to invest in new equipment right now, given all of the economic uncertainty that they're experiencing. And so I think that's why 
why you haven't seen the enthusiasm or the sentiment in the sector. Yeah, something else that weighs on companies like this. I actually spoke to the uh, CEO of CNH Industrial, Scott Wine. These are companies that also self-finance, so those higher rates hit in some of their bottom line as well. All right, time for the headlines now with our Contessa Brewer. Contessa, over to you. Well, Frank, Binance users are rushing to pull their money out of the world's largest crypto exchange, Binance. Data from a blockchain analysis firm shows more than a billion dollars have been taken out of Binance in the past 24 hours. The outflow comes after the founder and CEO, Xiang Peng, stepped down from his role at the company yesterday and pled guilty to criminal charges, including violating the Bank Secrecy Act and U.S. economic sanctions. Rescuers could soon reach the 41 workers trapped by a collapsed tunnel in the Indian Himalayas. An official said they're looking to drill through the last section of debris early tomorrow, barring any new obstacles. The men have been stuck in that three-mile tunnel for 10 days, with authorities delivering food, water, and medicine. Finland is all but closing one border crossing with Russia as asylum seekers flocked to the country. More than 600 people traveled to Finland via Russia without valid European Union travel documents in November. That prompted the government to shut down several crossings. The asylum seekers come from nations including Yemen, Afghanistan and Kenya. Finland has accused Russia of funneling migrants, but the Kremlin denies that. All right, Frank, I'll send it back to you. All right, our Contessa Brewer live back at headquarters. Contessa, have a great holiday. All right, coming up here on The Half, the crude crush oil falling today and on pace for its fifth straight weekly loss. Now the committee is navigating the energy trade. That's next on Halftime. We're going to be right back. Welcome back to Halftime Report. Oil hitting a fresh new low on news that OPEC is delaying a meeting on production cuts that was scheduled for this week. And that meeting will now be held next Thursday. Crews down more than 4% pacing for its fifth straight weekly loss. Shannon, I want to come over to you and just talk about more broadly about oil in the energy market. How do you view this decision by OPEC that seems to be weighing on the market? Yeah, I think it's creating some concerns, right, that we're going to get a surprise. We've seen a surprise in this meeting historically from OPEC Plus. And if you think about the dynamics, we're all of us, you know, I know that there's plenty of energy ownership on that desk next to you. Um, but talking about this longer term supply issue that we have and that that should continue uh, to drive, if you will, and support earnings in the energy companies. The problem is now is that we have the potential for, you know, softening demand next year on the economic front. But we, you know, really what we have are these um, what I would call unnatural supply constraints that are being put on the market. So even though we've experienced a significant increase in production here in the United States, um, there's this fear that, you know, should there be, um, you know, kind of an unleash, if you will, or an impulse for from OPEC Plus to add back oil into the market, you know, that could compress uh, and depress prices even further. And it really has very little to do with the fundamentals of these energy companies, which are, you know, much better than they were, say, 10 years ago. Yeah, oil companies in general under pressure. Joe, I want to come over to you. You're our resident uh, oil and energy expert. Um, what's your take on the oil market right now? Also, want to, I want to bounce something off of you. Uh, the Department of Energy today reporting, reporting crude oil inventories at 8.7 million barrels compared to the consensus of 1.16 million barrels. Big deal or small deal? 
Well, I think the concern is that supplies will build as we see weakening demand, not just domestically, but also globally. And there's evidence to that, in particular, when you observe what's going on in China and refinery runs being down. Um, I think it's important for the viewers to understand the distinction between the reaction today and the spot price of oil and actual energy equities. Once again, energy equities are not feeling as significant a decline as you're witnessing in the spot price of oil, and that's been the case month to date. Energy equities are down less than spot price of oil, and also quarter to date. So oil's down about 2.5%. Uh, energy equities are down about 45 basis points. Real quickly on why you're seeing energy down today, I know it's very inside baseball, but the meeting was supposed to be on Sunday. Monday, you have a significant amount of options that were going to be expiring. So now with the, the meeting pushed back to the 30th, those options need to be quickly unwound. If you have those options in place thinking that you're going to get something in either direction, either real bullish or real bearish, you're sitting and waiting. I think that's one of the reasons why you've seen some of the significant pressure that we have right now in the oil market. I don't think it's a very big deal that the meeting is pushed out to the 30th. And one way or the other, we're going to see if Saudi Arabia pushes back on what they believe is going on in the market right now. They've been clear. They said this is speculation. Well, let's see if they push back against speculators. Well, I mean, hasn't the Saudi oil minister warned short sellers about shorting the oil market? Over so and over again. But what do you have to do? You have to step forward and you have to have much deeper cuts. And you have to have the coordination from other OPEC members that they're going to have the discipline to, to adhere to what their production levels are. All right, Jim, you have a broad oil, uh, energy oil uh, ownership, I should say, Chenier, TransOcean, and ExxonMobil. Just want to keep it in perspective. Yeah, well, I'm quite bullish on the uh, fossil fuel sector. And, you know, that was a very good analysis of the technicals, which you always do well from a fundamental point of view. You mentioned inventories. Let's not forget that the strategic petroleum reserve is very, very low. And the U.S. government in the last week or so made an important change where they said they're going to fill it below $79 a barrel on West Texas Intermediate. That price level is up from its previous level of below 70 the fact that we're below 79 means the government should be buying barrels, and they are. They've already tendered for some, but they're going to continue to do so. That's going to be an important driver on the demand side that's going to keep uh, oil prices higher than where they are now. I wonder if the Federal Reserve wants them to fill the SPR and keep oil above $75, $80. I'm not so sure. And everybody said some very smart things here, so I'm not going to add to them too much. But to say the last two times oil prices touched 70 we saw meaningful rallies off those positions. And let's remember that energy is a great hedge against geopolitical risk, especially at these prices. That said, I don't think we're going to see a lot of movement in the year end because oil is the only sector that's kind of, and energy stocks are the only sector that sat out the rally in the last Last month, and I think that's one of the tax loss harvesting areas that people are going to target. So positioning matters. Rob, you're segueing us into our next topic. Speaking of commodities that are a hedge, let's talk a little gold. It's hovering right around $2,000. Fund strats. Mark Newton says it's time to feast on gold and copper. Uh, again, looking at gold prices right now, down a half a percent. So interesting timing on the note, but pretty close to 2,000. Rob, I'm going to come back over to you. In your mind, is this the time to go in on gold? Not our thing, but I will tell you, I think there's a lot of support 
going into year end for gold. The most notable is that real interest rates are declining. The last time we saw this 17 and 18 gold went on a tear, 13 gold went on a tear. And in both those times, you got some pretty meaningful returns. The other thing about gold that's interesting with everything that's happening in the world is it also can be viewed as a hedge against geopolitical risk. And, and, and inflation, of course, right. if it reasserts its ugly head. So I do think that the, the, that's gonna be a, an investment that works out, but not for us. So Joe, you actually sold your gold holdings, I believe, back in June, right? Mm -hmm. So if we can just show the year chart on gold, it's kind of had an interesting twist and turns to it. Hit it's low for the year in October, and it's bounced up off of that. And I think Why? it's bottomed. You think it's bottomed? I think it's bottomed. Now, I don't have the position on just yet. I will have the position on at some point. I like what Rob's saying. Um, anytime you hear the word deflation, and I know, Jimmy, you don't see the deflation, but we've heard it. I'm just acknowledging. No, I'm we've, with you on this. Keep we've going. Heard with it. You. Anytime you hear the word deflation, you immediately think of getting exposure to gold. Gold actually works best in a deflationary environment. Everyone right. kind of makes the mistake of thinking about gold in the 70s in the inflationary environment. but Post-1980, it's been about deflation. I like gold here. I like silver as well. When you're looking at the commodity universe, these might be the best two ways uh, to position. Yeah, by the way, silver down 2% year-to-date, actually. So kind of interesting uh, call from Fundstrap, uh, Fundstrap saying get in on gold and silver right now. All right, coming up, a software slide. Our call of the day is a downgrade for Autodesk. Joe owns this one. We're going to get his take. Halftime, coming right back. Welcome back to halftime. Let's get to our call of the day. It is Autodesk. Shares moving lower right now, down over five and a half percent after a downgrade by Piper Sandler. Joe, you own this one. Well, I wasn't very excited when we spoke about this the other day. I mean, the stock has basically been sideways since May. Now they come out with guidance that's putrid at best. And let's remember something. This is a technology stock. So there are many places that I could go within technology. Um, and we'll see where we go in the month of January. I'll leave it at that. <laughs> okay. Just important to note, though, it is a tech stock, but it's not, you know, we often talk about there's different chips, also different tech stocks. This is a tech stock for engineering, construction, manufacturing, all the things that we think are under a bit of pressure possibly next year, even if we do have the soft land. That's, that, that's a great point because it has that exposure yeah. where a lot of other uh, technology com companies don't. But when you're managing money and you're looking at the universe, this is a technology stock. And if right. I'm going to measure it against something else in technology, it's just not giving you the type of growth rate and performance that you obviously can get in other areas of the technology sector. Yeah, a lot to watch those shares down just over five and a half percent. All right, coming up next, Mike Santoli joins us with his midday word, halftime coming right back. Stay with us. Are you following the Halftime Report podcast? What are you waiting for? Look for us in your favorite podcasting app. Follow the Halftime Podcast now. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. Senior Markets Commentator Mike Santoli joining us now with his midday word. Mike, what are you saying? You know, uh, pretty comfortable uh, feeling out there. Investors are starting to warm up to this idea. When you have a 10% gain in the S&P 500 over three and a half weeks, it feels like it's time to ask, okay, is the market ignoring anything scary on the macro front? Is the credit market saying something different than stocks? Um, are yields really going to cooperate? So in other words, looking for the pitfalls, is sentiment getting too overexcited in the short term? 
I think we're short of any point where we have to worry about those things just yet. You have GDP tracking 2%. Obviously, you could fall away from there. Supply-driven declines in oil are pretty benign, if that's what this is that we're seeing. Um, University of Michigan consumer sentiment inflation expectations pop up to a worrisome level. The reason I don't worry about that is consumers don't know anything about what inflation is going to do over the next five years, because the last time we were this high was 2008, and the problem in the next five years was disinflation, not inflation, or deflation. All right, so you're talking about possible pitfalls coming up uh, in the near future, maybe even next week. So I'm just looking at the calendar. Third quarter GDP revision. Uh, We have a couple Fed speakers, Loretta Mester and also Austin Goolsby speaking. And then Thursday, we haven't even talked about it, but PCE. Yes. PC is going to matter. I think, you know, I, I don't think the Fed officials are going to try to put December back on the calendar. It's like, you got to worry about a rate hike. But the pace of what happens after that is well in play. You know, right. the, the market can't just assume that it's going to be easing very soon. And then we have Treasury supply. you got some auctions coming. So remember that that's, if that reawakens as a concern, I, I guess you can uh, get a little bit of a, uh, a sort of a hip check from, uh, from the bond market into the stocks. Mike, sit tight. We actually have a question from Shannon Sakosha for you. Mike, um, you talked about consumer confidence. How much do you think uh, Chair Powell and the rest of the Fed are looking at that divergence that we're seeing underlying University of Michigan, where lower income consumers much, much more um, concerned about inflation and, and seeing those expectations being a lot higher? How much are they looking into that, do you think, when they're thinking about their messaging? So, Shannon, to me, the Fed right now is not in the game of looking for the first and second derivative of the actual inflation numbers. I think they can be comfortable as long as we see the numbers going along the path that they're hoping to see. They're not going to say, oh, but wait a second. Some people feel like they're a little bit too concerned about inflation down the road. I get the idea that we could get sticky at some point on inflation, but to me, it's not necessarily this idea. When gasoline prices are doing what they're doing and coming down so much, it's just hard to see how that kind of feeds into broader inflation just because people are not happy about the level of prices right now. It feels like the midday word is relax. What's that? So it feels like well, that's the midday word. Look, I try, to, I try to, you know, maybe pull some of the drama out of things. But uh, look, I think you maybe should worry about it if you get yeah. people get too relaxed. All right, Mike Santoli with midday yet. word. Great points there. All right, coming up here on the half. More tech and retail earnings taking the spotlight in coming days. We're going to get the setup from the committee when halftime returns. Stay with us. All right, welcome back to halftime. It may be a shortened trading week, but we are gearing up for a busy few days after the Thanksgiving holiday. So let's start with the setup, starting up with some key earnings coming our way. We're showing you the wall right here. A lot of big names here, Salesforce, CrowdStrike, Intuit. Um, seeing on the back end, a read on retail over there. Alta also on consumer spending with Kroger. Joe, what are you watching? So both Intuit and Salesforce options are implying a 5% move. In the case of Intuit and CrowdStrike, you're looking at stocks that are at a 52-week high. Um, Salesforce specifically, uh, Wells Fargo and KeyBank recently lowered price targets. You had some management selling stock. We own that. We also own Adobe and Microsoft, so we're there collectively in the software space. I like CrowdStrike, obviously. That's one of my favorite positions. Cybersecurity name in the wake of Palo Alto Network. I think there's a good feeling surrounding all of these companies, and I expect the earnings report would be good. And lastly, don't dismiss Intuit. This is a quality company. It's more than TurboTax. It's about QuickBooks, and that's where the real driver of growth is in the QuickBooks small business division. September management reiterated growth rates in the mid-teens which is pretty strong. 
you guys, any of these companies you're looking at, possibly as a bellwether for the action yeah, for year-end or something else in your holdings? Uh, none that we own, but as a read-through, there's a lot of expensive software names reporting next week, and it's going to be interesting to see if pricing power can justify these high valuations. Jimmy? I've got a problem that I'm in a data lull for the next week, actually two weeks. You were talking with Mike about PCE, but that's looking at October, which we are kind of already know from CPI and PPI. You know, next big data point and earnings, you know, we already know the third quarter was great. We equally know that the fourth quarter estimates have been cut by 5%. Nothing next week is going to give me any insight into the fourth quarter. I've got to wait for the pre-announcement season, which is a couple of weeks away. I've got to wait for the November labor report, which is two weeks away to get any insight into what inflation's doing. Uh, so I'm kind of in a, I don't like this. I'm in a data lull, which means I'm susceptible to Fed speak, commentary from you know market prognosticators. Some hedge fund guy will come out and make some big, some big announcement, and there's going to be no data to back it up or debunk it. So it's just a tough time for me. So is the Fed speak especially meaning for you? Uh, Austin Goolsby, Loretta Messer, I believe John Williams. No, also it's speak. not. My point is, is because they don't have any data either. Like we're in a data lull. There's nothing for a fundamental guy like me to really sink my teeth into. I mean, I'll grant you, there are companies reporting. You just pointed out yeah. there's a lot of software. That's not really going to give me the feel of the overall economy, though. All right, still pretty big earnings week, but as you mentioned, we're about 95% through the earnings season, so we'll have to wait for next week to see what those results are. Stay with us. We have final trades from the committee. They are coming up next on Halftime. And we are back on Halftime. Time now for final trades. Shannon, you're up first. The healthcare sector, it's been a really tough year, but I think we're going to start to see some rotation back into the sector next year, um, particularly if we see some economic softening. Siege. Broadcom, way to continually play the semis, uh, trades cheap and has 62% operating margins. Jim. First off, I'm very thankful to be a member of this team. I learned from each and every one of you. Thank you. Cisco Systems had a bad week last week. It's now ready to recover. By the way, belated Veterans Day. Happy Veterans Day. I didn't Thank see you, brother. Yes, Jim. Joe, I'm going to give you the last word. Yesterday, I spoke about Burlington. I said there was more upside to come. Short interest was relatively high. Use yesterday's low at 158 if you're trading the name. And I'll echo what Jimmy said to all the viewers. Health and happiness to you and your families. And happy Thanksgiving. Thank you all for letting yes. me join you. Thank you all for watching. That's going to do it for us here on Halftime. Enjoy the holiday. The exchange starts right now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. All opinions expressed by the Halftime Report participants are solely their opinions and do not reflect the opinions of CNBC, NBC Universal, their parent company or affiliates, and may have been previously disseminated by them on television, radio, internet, or another medium. You should not treat any opinion expressed on this podcast as a specific inducement to make a particular investment or follow a particular strategy, but only as an expression of an opinion. Such opinions are based upon information the Halftime Report participants consider reliable, but neither CNBC nor its affiliates and or subsidiaries warrant its completeness or accuracy, and it should not be relied upon as such. To view the full Halftime Report disclaimer, please visit cnbc.com forward slash Halftime Report disclaimer.